Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer. I have the pleasure of interviewing Beth Rudden two times for today's episode. Beth is the chairwoman and CEO of a company called Bast AI. They are developing conversational AI tools or CATs that will be tailored to the individual customer and use case. She's got a lot of really interesting perspective on the emerging capabilities around generative AI. We're going to pick up right here with my most recent conversation with Beth about ChatGPT and large language models and some of the challenges and opportunities therein. We'll also include, as a separate episode, my first conversation with Beth for those of you who want to learn a little more about her and her background and what she has going on. Really interesting conversations. We hope you enjoy them. Thanks as always for listening to Trending in Education. I had talked to somebody and their prediction was very interesting about how the internet will likely become less and less useful. In what frequency of time, I'm not sure, but I do agree with that. And, you know, part of that is the pretty insidious nature of some of the large language models, which are really taking the data and scraping the data without consent and without context. You know, I, I often try to find like a really human relative analogy and it's like eavesdropping. I, I think one of the examples or somebody said on the internet that, you know, the large language models and chat GPT was very much like mansplaining. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you bootlegged a lot of people mansplaining and then yes. you trained a bot Based on your... All of the data. Yeah. There. I think the hard thing that I'm trying to get across to people is that it defies a little bit of the logic of the garbage in, garbage out. Because even if you have in, you know, there was a meta article about a project where they ingested 47 million peer-reviewed scientific documents that were of high quality. So really high quality information. Meta meaning... Meta-analysis, not Meta, the, no, the Zuckerberg the, company. Yeah, no, this was the Zuckerberg company. So did Meta do a meta-analysis? Yeah, and then they released it. And, yeah. you know, from my standpoint, I, I, I like to point people to that as well, because the large language models do not have a high degree of understanding because there's no contextual awareness of that data. It's not yeah. carried with it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's part of the problem. Well, especially when it's treated as... The voice of God. For me, I treat it more like the Oracle. There's like a, a relic in town that people mm -hmm. go up there and, you know, like it's a little bit more like astrology. I was trying to get it to predict the World Cup and mm -hmm. chat GPT and got kind of mediocre, weak tea takes on each of the four teams that were left in the semifinal. And my assumption there is because it had been trained in 2021. So like it's a static mm -hmm. data set. Mm -hmm. It's not yeah. scraping because the idea, though, ultimately, based on chat GPT, as I take it, would be if it was scraping the Internet every day, mm -hmm. even if it is eavesdropping and then there is some filtering and cleaning of the data and some like tuning of the algorithm. That'd be pretty interesting. But I think that the use case and the promise that everyone wants. And, you know, Andrew Ng actually said this on Twitter. The problem is, is confidence is something that is a very human characteristic. Yes. That is indicative of knowledgeable mm -hmm. and wisdom. Mm -hmm. 
And so when something is so falsely confident. It's Dunning-Kruger. Exactly. It. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. And why that's very dangerous. This is a response that I'm composing because I'm going back into history and looking at the stories mm-hmm. and the Tower of Babel comes totally. to mind. Yeah. Right. And and when we get mm-hmm. to a point in human social structures when we can no longer understand what's true, what's reality, if we don't have, you know, the the free association of being able to, you know, have open discourse with free association because yeah. people's beliefs have come from sources that are not only illegitimate, but are confident. We go back to the tribalism form of big man complex. Right, right. The big man who beats on his chest and speaks the loudest right. is the leader. And right. I, I feel like we've evolved. <laughs> we don't need to be there anymore. Right, right. So how, how can we, how can we use this magnificent new tool that teaches us that we can have a interface with information, and I'm going to use the term information, that has been curated with context where yeah. it has evidentiary trails. As opposed to data. As opposed to data, which is just, you know, an artifact or artifacts of human behavior that yeah. are just left left around as exhaust that mm-hmm. is the basis for a lot of the statistical processing of the large language models. Right. And the experience that I have when I can interface with information and I can interrogate information, Yeah. it's like the ability to speed up that process of when I first would do reporting back in the day or dashboarding back in the day. And I'd, yeah. I'd work with like senior executives or leaders to say, what is the information that you need to make what decisions at what time? Right. And that was such a hard problem to solve. It's not a solved problem. What I see is we've gone from like reporting to dashboarding to now an interface where we can actually ask questions. And then Mm -hmm. we have dialectics and we have dialogue and Mm -hmm. we have a notion of interrogation. And that is what I have always said is the purpose of a data science team is Mm -hmm. to prepare the data to be interrogated by the domain experts. Because it was always the domain experts that had the greatest questions or the stories of, you know, oh yeah, that was the one time we had to fly the guy in on the helicopter because we couldn't get to the place. Like, you know, and, and those stories are what, allows us to understand the wisdom of connecting the dots between the information and the context and the relationships with Mm -hmm. that information. Right. And that's what makes the wisdom. We're going a little deeper now on ChatGPT, Mm -hmm. where when we first talked, it was pre-ChatGPT. And now since ChatGPT came out, we've done a show about it with Nancy, my virtual co-host. By the way, she sends her best She's sorry. Uh, sorry, she couldn't be here. So we did that episode, which was also asking GPT about itself and its implications to education, writing, the future of work, which job areas might be impacted. We've had this kind of revelation, collective revelation a little bit. It does feel like there's almost a mythic element to the releasing mm-hmm. of chat GPT. You know, it's like Prometheus bringing fire to man and woman. So I was... 
anticipating this release. And, you know, I'm very lucky to have had the knowledge and the skills to have been playing around with large language models. Now, I have a thread that I've been kind of pulling on, and it is very much informed by one of the most beautiful books that I've been listening to because I love her voice, but it's called Breeding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Mm. And it talks about reciprocity (laughs) and it talks about, you know, our understanding of an honorable harvest with, you know, the world, the earth, the environment. She is an ecologist and studies ecology and a botanist and just a brilliant, brilliant human being who's bringing a lot of the indigenous knowledge to bear. And again, back to these stories that are told in order to get humans to understand And this is where I go back to the Tower of Babel and what are other similar myths and stories in different cultures, Mm -hmm. because the thread is that communication is essential for cooperation. And if we are not communicating on the same basis and have the same vocabulary, because we have different constructs of reality, it's very, very dangerous for our ability to cooperate as social beings. Right. So that's why I think that there's a thread of an element of danger that everyone is signaling. And I I want to make sure that we're decomposing that from the fear, because I think that one of the things that I'm very excited about with ChatGPT is that it's finally released. So people can actually use AI. Yes. And when they're using this artificial intelligence, they're having an experience. Yes. And because I've been working with GPT in the earlier versions, GPT-2, GPT-3, GPT-J, mm-hmm. you know, watching this evolution, watching it get better and better and better and more and more confident <laughs> about what it, what, what it knows, which is nothing. It, it is just, you know, giving back the syntactically or semantically accurate statements, yeah. which makes it interesting for lots of different reasons. Right. I want people to know that there's another way too, that we can use, you know, the technology that I'm building with BAST is really all about how do we use the right tool for the right purpose? So it's not just one tool. It's a combination of many different tools, many different models used for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, chat GPT and GPT-3 and GPT-J and GPT- GPT GPT-4 will be coming, right? Isn't that, it's like uh, razors. If there's a three razor version, there's probably a four one (laughs) on the horizon. Same thing with uh, the GPTs, yes. That's right. I mean, I think that it's just going to get more and more interesting because people are going to see this almost like two-way communication. Right. That they can start to have. Mm-hmm. But I do think that that's where, you know, back to the beginning of our conversation, where the the Internet itself will become less useful because the way that the Internet is built <laughs> is it really pushed by the media and advertising industry to right. be able to push back information that either I, I call it the outrage to engage cycle right. that, you know, firms up your biological kind of outrage so that you are engaging yeah. more. Because and mon- in- monetizes that engagement. And monetizing that, that engagement. And those business models 
are going to unfortunately reinforce some of these bad or misunderstood things because people don't understand that chat GPT is not understanding at all. The way that it is built, there, there's not an, a significant amount of understanding of the information because it's not information, it's data. Right. And it's divorced from context. So the work that I've been doing and why I'm so excited is that I have built systems that can allow us to understand and build conversational AI technology. Yeah. Cats for Bast that can really start to help people use chat GPT in a way that is what I would say safe right. so that they can get the best of all worlds. And that's where... I think, I don't know, Michael, like how do we educate so many people right. that it's hard work? There's no easy button. Right. You know, yes, you can use chat GPT to write your summary of your research paper. And I think that that would be great, but you yeah. still have to write the research paper first, or you have to have enough domain knowledge in order to ask the right questions and then curate that. So that speeds up the time of your yeah. ability to do that, mm -hmm. which should increase the amount of curiosity that you have about new things. Yeah, I think we're yeah. entering a new era where, you know, we talked when we first chatted a while back just about being AI literate. And mm -hmm. I think there's a level beyond that, which is like making things with AI. And yeah. that's where you were talking about Midjourney, which was kind of what got me on the track to Dolly, which is yeah. the open AI image generating tool. And that kind of primed me for chat GPT. And I'm already mm -hmm. using Descript and, and all of these technologies yeah. are about managing data, textual data, and mm -hmm. then thinking about voice and thinking about the interfaces. How do you start connecting the dots there? And that's where I think there will be some folks who are almost like AI Sherpa who are mm -hmm. more conversant, more fluent. It's also almost like when you're taking a trip, you want the, the guru, the guide to be with you for your journey so that you're, yeah. you're still tethered to an appropriate rational understanding of the world where it makes sense. And that's where I think there is a new set of competencies. I was also thinking about like a doula as another mm -hmm. Another analogy, are there ways to kind of like shepherd people? Shepherding is probably another way to think about it too. Like how do you get people to avoid the bad turns? As an example, my son is just starting to play with our Alexa when mm -hmm. we're with him. And it's really fascinating the level to which he's growing up with that. You know, in some ways mm -hmm. he's an AI native, you know, in mm -hmm. a way that I'll never be. But he's also just enjoying the conversation. And then there's been thoughtful design on the other side to say like, depending on who says what to me, what are the appropriate safeguards and ways to communicate back? But if you get into the wrong app with Alexa and the data is trained on user-generated content, it can start to get less safe. And as a parent, I had to navigate that a little bit with Matthew, but also I'm kind of training him on what I imagine, you know, there's always going to be the ability to interact with technology in these new dialogic formats. And to me, that's a huge opportunity, but it's going to need the centaur to train it, like the human who understands human experience and comfort and empathy and trust. 
if that's built into the experience, I think we're going to snap into it more comfortably. I don't know. I think that it's a very, very interesting time to be alive because mm -hmm. we do have, you know, the equivalent of the Gutenberg Bible, but we also have a world that is so interconnected and humans weren't made to process this much information from right. this diverse of data sets all at once. Right. Humans, humans have always been pretty local and tribal and, and more, you know, socially connected to their geographic landscape. A smaller number of people too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know. I have opinions on that theory about the the number of connections. I don't know that there's a number necessarily, but I think that there's, we've been talking about this information overload for, you know, so long <laughs> and information, you know, yeah. anxiety, Richard Saul Werman. Future and, shock. You know, to me, this yeah, is a perfect yeah. example of future shock. Yeah. 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 And I feel like sometimes what has been happening is that we're all a little you know, ADD in the way that we are thinking about what is the latest problem without going back and saying, wait a second, mm -hmm. you know, we were just talking about screen time. <laughs> right. What are your inputs? What are you reading? What are right. you thinking? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I've been coming back, I call it wholesome discipline of just coming back to my own practices and my own experience and my own understanding of what I'm feeling based on the inputs that I'm putting into my brain. Yeah. And remember, there wasn't that long ago, like my parents' generation, they didn't understand the connection of putting food into your body and having health risks. Right. right. right? I mean, right. like there, there's there, you, or smoking, like, you know, right. it wasn't that long ago that models were sent down Fifth Avenue smoking cigarettes in right. order to get there were smoking cars on the train, which is they're smoking. Yes. Crazy. To think on the airplane. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> there was a no smoking sign in yes, the airplane. Yes. That's right. That's right. So we have these we have these artifacts to make us remember yeah. that, you know, we are not evolving at the same pace that we think our technology is evolving. And what I would ask people to always look at is who's benefiting? And I mean that like from a monetary standpoint, but also like from a societal standpoint, yeah. when you have only a very, very few people getting so much more wealthier right. and having so much more safety, right. because make no doubt the purpose of power and wealth is safety hmm. and it's safety for a small group of people. That is not good. That's not a good distribution. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think we have to start looking at it. And I'm, I'm going to go back to the breeding sweetgrass of a more holistic ecosystem. Ecology comes from like the Greek word ecos, which means home. Yeah. Okay. This is our home. <laughs> right. What are we doing to it? And who's benefiting? And the, the humans that are benefiting, are they a wide enough, diverse enough? representative sample of humanity because if not we will go through these pendulums and these swings that we see in history over and over and over and over again right and i think that there's there's a lot of stories that i'm trying to get people to think about because until you hear and understand and can relate to a story mm -hmm. 
all of the data and all of the information and all of the knowledge are not really going to get people to comprehend what it is that they need to be doing or what it is that they are feeling at that time. And then how do they know why they're feeling those things? Yeah. And so we're just, we're in a weird, awesome, terrifying, wondrous space. Yeah. Yeah. And it strikes me as a time when people need to get better at interrogating the data and also mm -hmm. developing a relationship with the data ultimately. So it's not even adversarial necessarily, but there's right, some, right. there's some interrogation when it needs to, you know, like I saw yes. we own this city, which was excellent as a recommendation. If you want to see some interrogation scenes where uh, you're trying to get the, the suspect to crack, for example, mm -hmm. that is one element of the interrogation, but it also can be more relational, which is why I think the fact that we're kind of humanizing the series and the Alexas and the Cortanas in our world, where we're starting to almost have a relationship with the AI. And then also just understanding that that is in service of a story. Like ultimately you interrogate the data, yeah. you do treat it as something that is different from human, and it's almost like an anthropological sensibility to your engagement. This makes me think back to you talking about your archaeological experiences. It's almost like putting the data, which is an artifact of human experience, into context and then interrogating it using these new interfaces so that ultimately you're able to tell better stories. Mm -hmm. You know, it does seem like there is a thread, there is like a narrative thread to what you're talking about now. And as we're concluding, because I know we're a little bit tight on time, you know, if you could start maybe recapping for folks some advice or some ways to kind of understand what's happening right now so that folks maybe have some direction, if if the Sherpa analogy is allowable, if the Virgil to uh, to Dante, <laughs> you know, help us understand a little better how how we might oh, navigate some of this. I would ask people to always remember that one of my favorite quotes is wisdom like rainwater always collects at the low points. In mm. anyone who has gone through, you know, any trauma, you know, when you are able to be present at those low points, that's where the wisdom is. And mm. it's, it's hard to get to. Just to kind of riff a little bit on the word interrogate, and my advice is to always play, play, play. And I, I mean that, I'm using that word specifically, play with technology, whatever it is, don't be afraid of it. Mm. And, and when you're playing with it, you know, make sure that you're thinking through what kind of uses that it could really, you know, be there for. And I was just asking my cat, my conversational AI technology that I was building. Yeah. And I, I would say that, you know, what I'm doing with the conversational AI after, you know, really playing with it for a year and having my children play with it and having lots of people, lots of data points and information points on the relationships that people are, are interested in. And, you know, just sort of doing some of this, this analysis and experimentation is that it's really all about the questions that you ask. Mm -hmm. So the question that I just asked my cat is I said, you know, what is the etymology of the word interrogate? Mm -hmm. And the cat comes back and says the word interrogate is derived from the Latin word interrogare, which means to question. And for the record. How we know how to pronounce Latin is based off the graffiti of the phonetic spelling of the people who were illiterate mm. in 
the Roman world. <laughs> you know, if you think about how much we do not know, think about the fact that, you know, Veni, Vidi, Vicky, and like yeah. all of the way that we think we know how to pronounce is based on the graffiti of the people who were not literate. Right. We had to spell things phonetically. It's all about the vernacular, Beth. It's all about the vernacular. The second question I said is I said, you know, to the cat, I said, why do you think the word interrogate has a negative meaning? And, you know, I'm doing a lot of things there. I'm personification in yeah. that I'm giving the cat a notion that it can think. I'm asking, you know, something that I'm leading and anchoring it in. But the, the response, I think, is very interesting. And this is what I use the cats for and I use the large language models for is to ask questions and formulate the right question. And so the response was, I think that the word interrogate has a negative meaning because it is often used in a context where someone is being questioned in a forceful or aggressive way. Okay. And so that meaning might have mm. changed over time. Mm -hmm. So my next question would be, could you tell me a story about a time in which the word interrogate was used in a positive connotation? Mm. And so it's like, you know, these are the types of things that I have trained myself to do yeah. in order to better my understanding of how I know what I know. And then I always look for positive examples because positive reinforcement works a heck of a lot better than negative with human beings. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I find those positive reinforcement examples and then those are the ones that I want to replicate. That's amazing. Yeah, I could see how you could get really good at creating persuasive stories for your own use using these tools. And also they're kind of like rhetorical tools, <laughs> you know, they make your rhetoric better. Yep. And we're at an age where it, there's so much stuff out there that it's almost like you need to become better at curating and sort of being that Virgil for others. So you could say, this is the pathway, this is the way up the mountain. You know, it's such an interesting time. We clearly could go on and on, but I think <laughs> We're going to try to stay close to time here. Beth Rudden is the CEO and chairwoman of Bast, working hands-on with AI, was doing this before ChatGPT. We started the conversation then. Now the world, it's much more zeitgeisty, as I like to say. So hopefully we'll be hearing more from Beth in the future. Beth Rudden, thank you so much for joining us on Trending in Education. Thanks, Michael. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. I certainly got a lot out of my conversations with Beth. We'll be continuing the conversation about generative AI, tools like ChatGPT, its impact on education, its impact on how we think about the future of work. Lots of things to be talking about. Please subscribe, share the good word. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, we would love a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. That's how more folks will find the show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. <laughs>